2: Hobly, hobly, hobly. So, Allison. Mm -hmm. uh, Very interesting. I was just driving Sally to her play practice. Yeah. And the Guns N' Roses song, uh, Don't Cry, was on. It was from the Use Your Illusion, one of the Use Your Illusion albums, which you don't know anything about. Mm -mm. You were probably three or so when that came out. But it was very interesting because I... Because I was, uh, you know, 17 or 16, whatever, or whatever, when it came up. And I asked Sally if she liked the song. She said, yeah, I like the song. But it's so interesting. For when the time when the song came, when those albums came out, it was a huge event. My friend Jenny Dodo from Winchester, mm-hmm. she and her brother pulled an all-nighter to wait at the record store to get it because it was coming in at midnight or whatever,
3: had you heard some of the songs on the radio already at that I point? Like some of the have. singles had been released or something? Must
2: have. That was a particular standout. Um, that, that song was very pretty. And, and it's just so interesting that, you know, everything that went into it, all the marketing that went into it, at that point, Guns N' Roses was a huge global band. This was the This was a huge powerhouse release really right before... That whole movement was tsunamied over by Nirvana and Grunge and Alternative. Mm-hmm. So this is the last really offensive of that uh, era, and you had to have that album. You had to hear the songs were everywhere. They were the Rolling Stones of the time, kind of. Um, and it was they were they they, they stood alone. They kind of stood alone. Maybe U two was more poppy, and then and then Guns N' Roses, and. And it was very powerful, and in the in the uh, the video was high production and all sorts of stuff, and it was crazy, and like all the luster that was around it when I was a kid, in hearing it, it's a pretty song. Um, all the luster that was around it, and the power and prestige around it, to me, I still hear it. I can feel it, and I can feel those times, and that, and how that music sounded, and it's it was like extraordinary and big and huge. But to Sally, it she just heard an oldie. That's it. <laughs>
3: yeah. And
2: a real oldie, because that hasn't been redone. So for instance, we also heard... that. that, that oh, was, well, they
3: also think like Britney Spears is oldies.
2: Right. Or right, I get it. Or right, I get it. But to them, and, and even though it's a big booming sound thing, mm-hmm. the sounds that they're hearing now on their songs now and that they play in their video games are much more dynamic. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more st- stereophonicizing happening in the world, etc. And... Like she doesn't know any of the ba- the backstory of Axel Rose and the drummer and the, the the guy one of the guy who died and the guy they got rid of and their drugs and the spousal abuse and the the the, the you know oh, she didn't hear that all she hears is just a just an oldie which she liked just fine now she liked um, don't you forget about me that was mm-hmm. also on but she's that's in some of the stuff she watches so right. she considers that a a song that's hers. Mm-hmm. It belongs to her as much as it does anybody else. So I just thought it was just just interesting how this stuff works. And it must be the same thing, you, you know, when I was listening to songs with, with my dad as well, that were just
3: quaint and cute. <laughs> we used to listen to, the,
2: listen to the Everly Brothers, and, you know, it was quaint and cute and, and very nice.
3: But it wasn't yours.
2: wasn't mine. But, but you know, I enjoyed it. But <sighs> just, uh, just interesting. It's a little thing, but it... Uh, it's just interesting. So, what else? Um, going on in the world. Okay. I don't know how much I want to get into it. Okay, so uh, here's a problem. I really, like, went... Since I was today's national recognized trans day, whatever.
3: Trans day of visibility. Exactly.
2: Uh, trans day of visibility. And, um, and so... This, of course, this whole movement has seeped into everything. Joe Biden said we want to make sure that to do trans rights and in this, 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 and this. Here, I'll actually I'll, I'll let you hear uh, part of this. Part of this. Um, part of what uh, I, I had all this stuff open earlier in the day, of course. When I was doing it but he said that essentially we want to make sure that we're making progress in the military in sports everywhere he went all down mm-hmm. for this and of course they had they brought in uh the the guy who won jeopardy at to, to the White House today you mean,
3: had, I think you mean the first female right. winner of jeopardy exactly
2: I mean, that, <laughs> that of course is nonsense and ridiculous so it's interesting that the the initial goal here is tolerance peace love understanding right mm-hmm but nobody, they're not stopping at any of that. That's the problem. It's like, wh- wh- where do we go from? Make sure you don't beat up people that are different than you. To now, this is a woman you have to understand that she gets to have all the bo- the girl prizes. The guy gets to have all the girl prizes. And we want to read coloring books. And there's a whole bunch of books that are on a whole bunch of libraries, including um, what are your words? A book about pronouns. I'll let you listen to a little bit of this.
1: Hi, I'm Professor Kindred, and today we're going to be reading What Are Your Words? A book about pronouns by Catherine Locke, illustrated by Anne Pastier. This is a big coloring
2: book for kids. So first of all, where book. is
3: this being recorded? Because it sounds like she's in a Star Trek spaceship or No, it's a, this
2: is a guy. Or, or uh, whatever. Presenting it as guy. I don't know. This is a, some professor just recording it in his house. I don't know. But... So anyway, well,
3: I think the alien voice also adds to the impression. It's not an alien voice that I'm in a sci-fi episode. You just
2: got a bit of a lilt. Uh Um. So so anyway, in the book, of course, is a big. It's color. This is for essentially five-year-olds. Okay. And it's all. It's a illustrated book, and there's a girl. There's one person of every color and gender in the in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, but in in even this this dude's way, he's being extra. Soft and inviting. Mm-hmm. It is part of the red flaggy insidiousness happening. I
3: would say so.
1: My Uncle Leor is coming to visit today. I can't wait to show them around my neighborhood. And I can't wait for all my neighbors to meet them.
3: Is Leor a real name in any culture?
2: No. So <laughs> okay, Uncle Leor is coming today. I can't wait for the neighbors to meet them. So now, is there in the same school now where they're going to be reading this stuff to the kids, are -hmm. there also grammar rules and rules about pronouns anymore? No. So you can't, if I say Alice was going to the store. Stop being
3: so upset. Language evolves. Language always evolves. Why are you so attached?
2: So, okay. So there's no way to differentiate plural. No. Because you, you get to use any one of them that you want.
3: Yeah, you can use anything.
1: Lior is my favorite uncle. They have many beautiful, colorful hats. The garden at their house is magical. They are a biologist and look at team things under a microscope. I learn a lot from uncle Leor, like that. People can be described by more than what they look like or what they do. In fact, there are lots of words to say who people are and how they feel.
2: Some of those... Now, wait a second. There are lots of words to say who people are and how they feel. Is this they as in a single man again?
3: No, that's people.
2: Okay, so this is people. Okay. So this is used For in the old... people to
3: describe the old, how they, tra- they feel. Yes. The old traditional yes. way.
2: Okay.
1: Words are pronouns. Pronouns are words that can take the place of your
2: name, like I,
1: me, you, she, he, or they.
2: And now, if if this author had a sense of humor they would actually go through all 563 of them you just <laughs> keep going
1: uncle leor knows how important my words are to me because i am always growing and changing and some of my words change with me so every time they visit they ask what are your words ari
2: some of my words change with me <laughs> what exactly game are we playing here
3: you can pick your words any all day. Can you also pick, by the way, like adjectives for yourself? I, I, you can course. only describe me as beautiful and well, intelligent course. and...
2: We have to affirm.
3: Okay. That's what they're saying. You have so to So you affirm. can't use any adjectives about me either that I don't like or nouns or anything else.
1: I assume not. Sometimes I know my words right away. Happy, creative, fun, he, him. Sometimes I have to think about my words. Thoughtful, athletic, silly. She, her. Sometimes I, I have adjectives. to try my words out. Sleepy, calm, honest. A M.
3: A M.
2: E Y, and the other word is E M. A M.
3: So that if Uncle Leor, for example, went by A M, you would say Uncle Leor came to my neighborhood today. And I introduced M to the neighbors. They really liked seeing But my remember, house.
2: So I don't know. You can't see it. So let me try to show you. So this is... See that little kid? Mm-hmm. That's the voice he's doing. So he's speaking on behalf of this other five-year-old, just like yeah. you or me in the class.
3: Who definitely comes up with the idea that they want to be called A.M.
2: Right. But hey, you know, this little boy, girl, they, m M-M, T- t- wants to say these things, so I can too.
1: Sometimes I just use one set of pronouns. Sometimes I change my pronouns. Sometimes I use all the pronouns I can think of. My pronouns are like the weather, they change depending on how I feel.
2: Not to nitpick, but I'm not sure that's what the weather does, by the way. <laughs> but so what is this? Encouragement to just use the flourish and we'll affirm you anything you say, Child King. We'll we'll undergird it immediately. <laughs> right, it's like the we'll, Twilight
3: Zone episode yes. with the kid that's completely yes. in charge of all Now of them. I'm
2: Zizor. Okay, Zizor, alright. So, why are we following this kid into the, um, the lion witch in a wardrobe uh, closet here and acting as if all of these machinations that this little person very organically is having uh, mean a damn thing? Why?
3: Well, uh, I have some theories as to why. Violence? because
2: Because this kid will kill himself if we don't let him play. make my own word rules.
3: <laughs> I mean, I I think that I know why there are adults encouraging this and saying that we have to do this. Um, and I think I think there are several reasons that go into effect. There was some debate about this on Twitter like over the last day or so because there's sort of this meme that goes around where it's like The Simpsons meme, don't make me tap the sign and it says it's really simple, they just wanna diddle kids. That's like the meme about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think especially with the don't say gay bill in Florida, the, you know, calling it like the anti grooming bill and stuff, that's been a big part of the narrative. And I really think that that's true. And there are a lot of parallels with grooming and abuse. But there was this big Twitter thread that was going around um, that was sort of critiquing this idea that it's, you know, they just like children. Right. And because what they were saying is that, you know, Maybe some of them do, sure. And maybe their policies enable people who are predators to more easily manipulate children. But really what they're doing is not just about sexual abuse. It's about um, deconstructing our society, deconstructing the nuclear family, deconstructing patriotism, love of country, traditional values that people have about, you know, our our community, our society. These are... uh, it, philosophies, this critical race theory and gender ideology are theories that were born from Marxist radicals and they are forced upon children with the express idea of creating the idea that children are um, independent adult entities, really, that can make these decisions independent from their parents, independent from society, and that they know what they want, and that they have the ability to make adult choices. Now, that's also something that child sexual abusers try and convince kids of. Absolutely. Right. So there's definitely a lot of overlap there. I don't think it's a coincidence that there are people who get in trouble for that, who are involved in these movements because they do really believe that children have the ability to make decisions about like their sexual lives at very young ages. And, you know, that's something that child predators believe about children, too. I mean, some of them do. Some of them know they're evil and just choose to do it anyway. But but I think there are predators who think that children are capable of so-called like Consent, Right. Um, but this person, Josh Dawes on Twitter, had a great thread about this today where he he commented, um, you know, from this old tweet he had, I believe that children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. These aren't just cheesy song lyrics to the left. Children are the key to societal transformation. The left doesn't want to diddle kids. They want to create little revolutionaries to do that. They need to sever the bond between students and the parents they believe are raising their children to be hateful bigots in order to sever the bond between parents and their children. The left is using a two pronged approach. Critical race theory and radical gender ideology properly known as queer theory are not two unrelated sets of ideas. They are two parts of the same strategy. CRT is usually the first set of ideas to be introduced This is often enough to radicalize racial minorities But it's merely one, a step one for white or white adjacent students CRT instills in these students a negative self-identity As they're taught to believe they're recipients of enormous privilege That was stolen from others And that they are complicit in historic and ongoing injustice In child terms, they're taught to believe that they're bad Apart from the shame and guilt This also gives them a worldview at odds With the one their parents grew up with And are trying to pass on to their kids Step one is complete Once CRT is done tearing down these kids And leaving them with a negative self-identity Queer theory is introduced and offers Them a wide assortment of positive self-identities To choose from Instead of living with the shame and guilt of being a member Of the oppressive dominant culture These students can be celebrated for coming out as Gender non-binary or pansexual In an instant these kids can trade Their negative self-identity and all the Accompanying guilt and shame of being an oppressor For a positive self-identity As a much venerated oppressed minority at this point the left desperately wants this new identity to stay at school so it has time to be cemented before the parents find out in the guise of helping these students schools withhold this information about their child's new identity from mom and dad once the parents do find out about their child's new identity it's firmly in place and an adversarial relationship between the child and parents has been manufactured it takes extraordinarily deft parenting to repair the relationship once it has reached this stage The parents' tendency will be to overreact and push the child further into the arms of woke radicals who now have the little revolutionary they wanted from the beginning. The bond between parents and child has been severed, ending the perpetuation of hate and bigotry. The left is determined to replicate this process in as many families as they can, using whatever means at their disposal. It's not just about diddling kids, it's about capturing the minds of impressionable children. Unfortunately, this also creates environments where actual predators can thrive. When young children are isolated from their parents, encouraged to adopt different beliefs and keep secrets from their parents, they are easy targets for abusers. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, even if you have like good teachers and good schools where the people are well-meaning, they still are, are susceptible to this because he says most teachers love their kids in their classrooms and only want the best for them. They have had their empathy for these students weaponized against them by leftist activists promoting educational programs that sound nice and caring. Highly empathetic teachers are being used to promote this agenda unaware of its insidious purpose. For an an example, I recently saw a teacher at a Christian school announced she would no longer be using the words mom, dad, or parents in her classroom. She had just read a paper on the importance of making kids from non-traditional families feel included. She suggested replacing donuts with dads with bagels with buds or something of the sort. (laughs) Uh, And and, you know, we went through this in our school. Our school had a daddy-daughter dance that we got rid of. Um... So... He talks about how this idea That's like it gets into the like Yoga pant wine mom set and the teacher Set because they're like empathetic and Want to be nice and want to be kind and Understanding and make everybody feel Accepted but they're being used As tools of this agenda that that, Whose goal is really To destabilize society as a whole We know that nuclear families stabilize Societies and give kids the best start In life we know that Black Lives Matter Has as a stated goal to dismantle the nuclear Family because they see it as like Like a Western colonialist worldview. This is stuff that that really is is threatening to democracy if we're going to play the left game of talking about things that are threatening to democracy we cannot have a society where people are in total breakdown depression drug abuse it, it, perpetual pharmaceutical clients uh, and and that's what like this gender mm. ideology this these depressions anxieties isolation not having a family structure around you like that's that's the type of uh, environment where you you cannot have a stable functioning society. You just can't do it. Look at, like, the, the people on the streets of San Francisco and the drug abuse and, like, how it's destroyed these communities. I, I mean, there also, there was a big um, a paper that somebody was tweeting about today that was finding, for example, that kids of divorced parents suffer more educational attainment loss. I guess I've said that backwards. They they achieve less educationally than kids not only kids of two parent households but kids whose parents one of their parents dies huh. the and and they theorize that perhaps part of that is because um it's because it's ongoing drama and stress versus like your parent only dies once, and it is like traumatic, but it's like a one-time event. Versus like divorce can continue to be destabilizing and crazy for years and years and years, and that many kids, um, and it's, it's especially seen like in the later teens and early twenties, like times when kids are finishing high school and going to college, and that it leads to kids having much more chaotic environments at that time in their life, and and many fewer of them go to college and and do things like that. Sort of the well, standard also
2: thing. isn't tr- isn't still? And tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't generally a, a, the father paying alimony, and and uh, generally the the mom gets majority custody. So mom typically mom yeah gets the kid money through Friday. Of course, mom's a pushover, and dad is not around.
3: Right, right, and it's you, you know just. It, I think especially when kids hit, like, adolescence and the teen years, the difference between having parents present a united front and and parents being antagonistic towards each other and each with their own goals and ideas is a huge difference for a kid, which is something that doesn't happen when a parent dies, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's not, like, your parents pitting you against each other, you know? that They're not, um, like, using the kid in their own machinations. Now, obviously growing up in a traumatic household where somebody's abusive or something like that also is destabilizing and bad for kids. So clearly that's, you know, an important consideration with divorce. But that's not the reason, let's be real, why the majority of divorces are happening in this country today. The The majority of them are because, are like the article that was in, what was that in? The Atlantic? Or The New Yorker? Maybe it was The New Yorker? The woman who you know, redid her kitchen and realized that she didn't want to redo her kitchen. She wanted a divorce and she divorced right, right. her husband because she was dissatisfied with things and right. for no reason whatsoever. Oh, that was great. Like, it's these people trying to, like, self-actualize and it's so damaging to your kids. It's so damaging to your kids. It's crazy. Like, and, and the more research we do about it, the more we find that that it's so negative and toxic. But, yeah, I mean, like, it's it's almost like in the absence of... That kind of family breakdown happening on its own. The left wants to take families that are functioning and healthy and where the parents are united and they are, you know, involved in the upbringing of their kid and they want to essentially divorce the kid from the parents. They want mm-hmm. to turn the kid against the parents and cause family strife in an all new and exciting way. But but it is it is toxic and it is, I believe, not on the part of necessarily the individual teachers, but on the part of the people who develop these programs and ideas, this is absolutely an attempt to cause social breakdown.
2: Oh, totally. I mean, just think about just one passage from this book. This is written from the voice of a five-year-old. I learn a lot from Uncle Lear. Like the people can be described by more than what they look like or what they... So in other words, I learn a lot by somebody...
3: Not my parents.
2: Yes, exactly. Who speaks like this using these kinds of words. Maybe you should find somebody, like me, the star of this book, maybe you should find somebody like Uncle Lior, Uh who's interesting like that, too.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think especially kids are very susceptible, like, I don't know... If you pay much attention when you are forced to do like the the trainings that they make you do whenever you like coach a kid's thing or an, are involved in a kid's thing or whatever, and it's about like You know, looking out for abuse and being a mandated reporter and all this stuff. And, like, one of the things they absolutely talk about is adults wanting to have these types of relationships with kids where they talk to them about secret stuff their parents don't want them to hear about and, you know, develop relationships with kids that other adults aren't involved in. So, like, anybody listening to these teachers talk about, like, oh, I want to be a safe adult that can be the person, like, for a kid that doesn't have that to turn to at home. Like, my Hackles go up because it's such a red flag. It's literally from the textbook. And, you know, some of these people might not be using it because they explicitly want to abuse kids themselves, Mm -hmm. but they want to create that break between parents and children that is the same one that's exploited by pedophiles. It leaves kids open and vulnerable to abuse, and it leaves the family absolutely in ruins, destroyed. You know, I, I, it's so toxic on so many levels.
2: Like this teacher here, who unfortunately has the car running while she does her TikTok. It
3: makes me very angry when people don't want to talk about gender and sexuality in classrooms, um, specifically for the reasons that students won't understand. Um, because in my experience with teaching, that is never the case. Um, I'm a non binary teacher and I use the title Mix. Um, and today, Wait,
2: just like Lior. Oh, it's somebody like Lior. I, I can learn a lot from Lior. Mm-hmm. She says it has the same language as Lior. I can learn a lot from her.
3: Yeah, I had 12 new students, and I just go, Hi, my name is Mix Murphy Q. I use mix instead of miss. It's a little bit different, but I'm still a teacher, just the same. And they, I
2: want to use special stuff for me, too. Like Miss Barbecue does. (laughs) Or sorry, Mix Barbecue does. (laughs) I want to have the special things, too. I don't want to be called Timmy anymore. Timmy's boring. I want special things. What, What can my things be?
3: Well, and kids... Also remember, they want to be seen as like older, mm-hmm. right? So they want to seem like cool and mature, and that's like another loophole predators exploit. Is like, oh, your parents don't understand; they're trying to infantilize you, right? Like they're trying to—they think you're still a little kid. But I get it; you're mature, like me. You're you're old enough to understand right. this stuff, and like kids eat that up and are very vulnerable to that to that form of attack on them because they they want to be seen as mature. So an adult saying like. Like you're smart enough, mature enough to understand this. That's like the poison that people like that use to get into a kid's head and get like separate them from their parents.
2: Totally, totally. I got it right away.
3: I got mixed instead sort of missed all day, um, and it makes it it confuses me when people use that um, excuse that children won't understand because. Students are very intelligent and they're learning all day. It's not hard for them to learn a different type of title.
2: And remember, it comes from the top down. So when, as we have played this before, so when the superintendent of schools of, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of kids go to these schools, says we will affirm the kids no matter what, then we will affirm the kids no matter what. When we're, we're
3: thinking about... Um, our LGBTQ plus students, we want to ensure that our learning spaces um, continue to affirm
2: their identities. And that's what I want to communicate, that we continue to affirm their identities. We continue to promote safe and healthy learning environments and places where um, we want our students to feel seen and heard and affirmed and valued and respected. And we're going to continue to do that. So
3: I just can't believe that they, that all of these, like, activisty people don't understand that kids just take what they tell them because they believe teachers and principals and authority figures. So, yeah, yeah, if you tell them that you're mixed barbecue or whatever we right. decided this person is called, mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, they'll believe you because you're a teacher and you're an adult and it's, it, it, what, you think kids just like happened to the kids in your classroom just happened to agree with the stuff you taught them no you taught them that because you're a weird creepy mf who who has this need to feel validated by kindergartners mm-hmm. it's so messed up like you taught them that and then you're like wow well, they totally get it like no you just indoctrinated yeah. them with your crazy
2: and isn't it interesting that I mean, right there when she says it's very important that we, and crucial, that we affirm them. Remember, that's the false premise, right? That's mm-hmm. the that's the the first um, linchpin right there. We, and we have to affirm them because if not, it'll be damaging for them and they could try self-harm or even commit suicide or their t- depression, whatever. And that's where the lie is. Because they'll tell you they have the data, which show, which is which is uh, massaged, of course, to make what? it look like, you know, that the idea that if they don't, if you don't immediately affirm, then these kids will be suicidal. Is not true. Mm-hmm. These kids are in trouble emotionally. Some well, are just looking for attention.
3: Well, and you created the problem to start with. So, yeah, you've created a new mental disorder. And just because you caused the mental disorder doesn't mean that it's not real to the person having the mental disorder. Like, that's one thing we've learned is that, yeah, you can create gender dysphoria in people who didn't have it before. You can absolutely teach kids to have gender dysphoria, just like you can teach kids to have tics. You know how these videos were going around on TikTok? And it's it's been a thing even before that. There's been cases where, yes. you know, there have been whole schools. Like there was one where a whole high school cheerleading squad all started mm-hmm. to develop tics. And they had like the Aaron Brockovich type people all come and like examine the school for some type of like nerve agent or whatever they thought was like causing all these girls on the cheerleading team to all have these weird nervous tics that they couldn't control. And like, it turned out that like, the Salem witch trials and everything else, this was totally psychosomatic, which doesn't mean that it's not real to the people it's happening to. You can create, and especially teen girls are especially susceptible to things like this, these like mass hysteria events, right? But they, these are real things that happen and they feel real to the people that they're happening to and they're not necessarily controllable once you create them, you know? But the, the human mind is like so malleable, right? And it believes all kinds of things that you that you train it to believe, right? And so you can you can create these weird pathologies in kids. You can make them think that they have to be called they, them, or they're going to have a breakdown, just like you can make them think they were attacked by witches in the night, or just like you can make them think that, that they have an, a nerve disorder that's causing them to have ticks, right? That those are things that you can teach your brain to have when you didn't have them before. So they create the problem, and then they're like, "Oh look, your kid has this problem. We have to, <laughs> we have to solve it. Or they're gonna, they're gonna kill themselves if we don't do exactly what we, uh, what we prescribe for this problem that we caused ourselves." <sighs> and sorry, now your kid's gonna be medicalized for life and be on all these crazy hormone treatments and stuff.
2: So, all right, so that's that. Anyway, for the time. Happy being. Trans Day of Visibility. Yeah.
3: In other words.
2: That uh, that piece is incredible. Is incredible. Uh, which brings us to the Jeopardy! champion, Amy Schneider, who visited the White House.
3: First female Jeopardy! champion, yep. in fact.
2: Oh, they were all there today. Rachel Levine. All the
3: first females. Amy, do you want to tell them why
1: you're on campus? Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, International Transgender Day of Visibility. And, uh, you know, the White House was good enough to invite me here and uh, be visible, I suppose. Uh, and I'm just really, really honored to be here and, and really grateful um, that this is being celebrated and that the trans people are being celebrated uh, in, in,
2: a, in a place like this. So. what an abomination. (laughs) It's so interesting. And the thing is, it's like, and this is part of the, I guess the the point is that it's certainly not that somebody is being fettered at the White House. And, you know, we're told that if we don't make pretend that man is a woman and shouldn't be given the first anything because he's not a woman. That, that then we're anti-trans and hateful, etc When right. we're simply being logical, but the left uses extremes well, mm-hmm. and that's their their whole idea. And they also, when they sow chaos, that's good. So, for instance, when we heard the first guy, when we were learning about Leor and saying Leor is they, and I can be M and A and whatever, and of course that would have a clash, you would think with the some the phonics in English person. Because that creates problems because words are supposed to mean things. I think the left wants that clash. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, discord there. In which which person is more likely to get the sympathetic ear of HR or the DEI officer who's installed in every school?
3: Right. Exactly. And there's
2: a good way to shut the English teacher up yeah. forever.
3: it's a way almost of being so outrageous that you force the people who are sane to self identify so that you can weed them out of your organization. Right. Right. There's a I think it's
2: It's a great point, Alison. I think, I think it's that a, I almost I almost came up with it. Yeah, you got
3: there. You, but it reminds me there's a short story, a sci fi short story. I think it's by like Philip K. Dick, maybe. Um, but it's this guy and he's like he sees like this guy who's like been hung, like hanging from a lamppost or whatever, this mm-hmm. body. And he's like going around to everybody like the police and like his wife and being like there's like a body hanging from the lamppost like somebody has to do something and everybody's like acting like there's nothing going on and what is he caring about or whatever but it turns out they've all been like invasion of the body snatcher, and it's a Mm. way they leave the that like body out there as a way of getting figuring out who hasn't been replaced yet Right?
2: Jeez, that's good content, Alice. Right.
3: So so like, yeah, if you're the person who's like, Wait, this isn't proper English at all, like we can't even understand the things the kids are writing in their essays now because the grammar makes no sense. Then they're they're like, Oh, found a live one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kick them out of the school.
2: Oh my god.
3: So yeah, I should look up what story that is. I don't because off the top of my No, head, it's I'm it just it.
2: it's crazy though. Let's let's talk about something nice. Yeah. Anything nice jump out at you, Alice? Anything fun? Oh, you know what? Not nice. Let me go hearkening back to 01890, Winchester, and Mass, Massachusetts. I'm going to go to a friend the of The Hanging
3: my... Stranger, Philip K. Dick, yes.
2: He wrote, did he wrote, write the Marlowe bo- uh, movies or something?
3: Marlowe. He wrote The Man in the High Castle, I think.
2: Oh, oh okay. I thought he's contemporary?
3: Uh, no, no, he didn't. That's a, it's, that's, it's. An older short story, "The Man in the High Castle," it was like remade as the TV um, series on Amazon or wherever that is. Uh, is that right? Yeah, based on Philip K. Dick's novel "1962" by the same name. So yeah, he's he wrote back then, but yeah, a lot of his short stories are free and stuff too. But a great sci-fi writer, I really like his stuff.
2: Okay. Oh shit! I'm damn sorry.
3: Everything okay over there?
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to sign on. I've got every everybody. I've got four different Google accounts in this thing. I don't know Um, the password. I don't know the effing password. Just sign in, dink. There we go.
3: Um. So anyway, there's something else that I wanted to talk to you about Mm -hmm. while you're doing that, which is that uh, this is like a slightly older story. The first news story I could find about this goes back. There have been people writing about this going back to like 2018 or so, but I was making the rounds on Twitter today, so I was like reading about it. Uh, the premise is that there are things called micro-cheating that can damage your marriage even if they're not cheating, cheating. Okay. And the examples that they use are um, looking at an ex's social media accounts. Sending emojis to people other than your partner, saving the contact details of someone of the opposite sex under a fake name. Um, oh,
2: so far, I don't think I do any of these.
3: Liking people's Instagram and Facebook re- posts repeatedly who aren't your significant other.
2: You well, know. like
3: going through people's Instagram, right, and like liking every time they put up swimsuit pics of like some other chick or whatever.
2: Yeah, I don't think I like any of them. I certainly have a
3: You like them bo- in your heart. Right, but I have you a boatload like of your... of
2: chicks and bikinis on my Instagram and I don't know if I did that or how it is, but when I open Instagram, it's Bikini Fest eighty four and I mean, I'm mean all... I think
3: that's a lot of Instagram anyway. But...
2: Okay, so and I'm all for that, obviously. I get to But
3: you don't like their posts and put like heart emojis in the comments.
2: No. No. I barely <laughs> no. And um but and the only, I think the only person I, I do, t- the only two, the only women I talk to other than you on, on the phone is Jacqueline Cashman mm-hmm. and, um, and, and text is Hilary Chabot, both of who I worked with at the Herald hmm. and but with them, it's just sexual stuff.
3: So, um... I'm not gonna <laughs> rise to take that bait. So, but this is controversial because some people think that this is a real concept, like micro-cheating. That these are yeah. like little things that people do to kind of create a secret world from their husband or wife, right? Mm-hmm. And that that you're, you know, saving somebody's number or you know messaging with them on the side or whatever, right. um, and that that's like toxic for a marriage. But there's also other people that feel that it's abusive to micromanage your spouse's Mm -hmm. relationships with the internet and with other people like that
2: well given the opportunity in everything where all ducks in a row almost almost all guys would cheat in one way or another so it's good to micromanage because guys are not are not meant to be in the um captive animals in captivity so I, so I, I, if I were a wife, I'd always look.
3: Well, and I think that it possibly could be abusive and controlling if you're like going through your husband's phone, like looking for that stuff and trying to find oh, it. Oh, you go like,
2: through my phone all the time. Yeah,
3: we both go through each other's phones all so, the time. What? Hold on. No, we When's look at- the last it?
2: time I was in looking through your phone?
3: You've accidentally sent emails from my email before. No, that's
2: here. That's because your email yeah. is the first thing to come up on my computer. Well,
3: you, but the point is, you see my communications. We have nothing secret from each other. Right. So, you know, I think that... I do think that Imagine like having, I did,
2: though. Wouldn't that be exciting? As long as she was hot. My only thing is this. If, if I do get involved in a, her-
3: It would be interesting if you started saving other tricks. As like names of your friends, so I wouldn't know. Mm,
2: so I exactly. just thought
3: you were like texting John or Mike, but it was. But like... it's never been John or Mike <laughs> the whole time. Imagine my life right?
2: was that exciting.
3: <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I do consider. I would most erase John
2: in a second if <laughs> some hot twenty-five-year-old wanted to. Yes, I would erase all my guy friends in a second and never talk to them again. <laughs> just for the attention. There never has to be anything physical ever, ever, or even Instagram pictures or whatever. Just for the flattery to know there was. You think
3: that was... that's also a form of cheating, though.
2: I'm sure it is.
3: Okay, just check. But Alice,
2: I am wretched. You know this. Yeah. You know. Hmm. The next guy won't be. I assume.
3: Uh, I don't want a next guy. I'm good. Oh. What do you mean?
2: I'll never understand.
3: <laughs> what do you mean? I'm. I i can not be with somebody else.
2: Uh, Alice, you know what? You need to learn to move on like I have.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm just
3: Maybe I'll feel differently when I get the $500,000. <sighs> That's
2: so much BS that you're going to get it. it. Sucks.
3: You could get it too. You never know.
2: I know. I know. Believe me, I think about it. <laughs> We're worrying people now. No, we have actually, I think our marriage is better than ever right now. Actually,
3: I think so too. I think so
2: too. The, the family why
3: that a... podcasts together stays together. <sighs> Ugh.
2: No, it's not. No, it's not better.
3: <laughs>
2: I'm gonna rather hook up with Leor now.
3: <laughs> Sorry about that. So, were you using that time to look for something else that you wanted to share? No, wh- I thought you were looking for something oh, that you had saved or something else. I don't know. Not really.
2: Not really. I don't really have much. In- I mean, not that I just wanted to stay with the trans stuff. But I don't want to go back to the Chris Rock stuff and you know I guess. Yeah, I guess. no,
3: I hear you. So I want to read you a Oh lot. no, yes, it's yes, yes, I was oh, okay. looking for something. Go ahead. It's
2: this is why I'm I'm communicating with another woman from my past. Oh yeah? Yes. And her name is uh, I'll just use her first name. Her name is Monica from Winchester. Okay. Um
3: Are you micro cheating?
2: Not micro cheating. Monica is somebody who grew up fairly close to me in Winchester, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. who's in my grade, who was always a very pleasant and lovely young lady. And is now um is now a mom and all that stuff and but she's she's a conservative as it turns out. And so she uh <laughs> she says, Tom, really you don't have to look much further than your old hometown to get some good material. Not only do they want non citizen voting, but want to allow non citizens to serve on town meeting. Hope you're doing well, enjoying your your emails. Oh so she's she's a substack. Damn it. I don't want her to see how crappy my substack is. Um, not always. Write a
3: substack about the town meeting non-citizens.
2: Maybe I will. So it says non-citizens voting in Winchester, what it means and who it, um, uh, who it impacts. In advance of springtime meeting, learn about the proposed article to allow legal resident non-citizens to vote in local elections. League of Women's Winchester Voters is, uh, Network for Social Justice is setting this up. Talk about a way to destroy every last institution. Mm -hmm. They live here, too. Shut up. Shut the frig up. God, God, I miss bullies. I miss it. You know.
3: Well, and I mean, there are people like, sorry, you have to choose where you live and where you vote. Right. Like, that's it. If well, you're, you're a right, citizen right, it, it, of one thing, you're not a citizen of something else. Just like, you know, we own property in Vermont. We pay the taxes up there. All that stuff. Actually, technically, your brother does, to be fair, mostly. Um, But, you know, he can't vote in the Vermont towns where he owns property and pays taxes. Right. The northern business owners can't vote for Michelle Wu if they don't live in Boston, even though they contribute to the society. I mean, like, society's full of people that contribute to stuff and don't get to vote on it. You know, I don't get to vote... On the city council if I'm not elected to the city council. I don't get right. that. Some towns have elected town meetings where you can't vote in the town meeting unless you're elected. We have an open town meeting, which right. means every but voter it also, can.
2: But Alice, also, a non-citizen can vote and can... In their country. No, well, but but a non-citizen can vote and can have all of the privileges of a citizen.
3: By becoming a citizen?
2: Exactly. There's a nice road for you right there to do it. Mm-hmm. Right there. It's written out. It's You don't have to hide in the shadows to do it. You go to the little JFK building or the Tip O'Neill yeah. building. And
3: you can get a go- nice photo op of taking the oath and everything. Exactly. And
2: yeah. Exactly. There's a way to do it. You can be a citizen. But this is just a, a, a total, a way to, this is a way for elite. Talk about BMW 7 Series uh, driving Range Rover wearing. Those people will not be that impacted by this. This is a good way to nullify the votes of townies, working people who are still trying to make it in Mm -hmm. your town. You know, this is just a it's a just a it's so insidious. There's a reason why historically countries count the people coming in
3: right and there there are levels of investment in a community and in vet time investment of knowing what's going on and being a part of the of the whole thing right like this is a whole big thing a bunch of towns actually want to get rid of town meeting or somehow make it remote or whatever too because and, and the pandemic was part of this but also like I heard it used when we were going to we had to vote in our town meeting for those of you who don't know probably if you're not a New Englander you might not realize that in New England we have this thing called town meeting where like it's some towns have elected town meeting, but a lot of them it's like anybody who's a registered voter gets to show up and like vote for stuff that's on the actual town agenda, like the town budget. And it has policy implications. So, you know, you can show up and like vote for whether or not the town gets a new snow plow. Like you're voting on the new budget items. You're voting on like the police department budget yourself, like the people that live in the town. Um One of the things that raised a lot of complaints for people in our town was when the new high school building project was in town meeting. And so a lot of people were upset because to go to to vote in town meeting, you have to actually go there and physically vote that day on the items. You can't absentee vote in town meeting. So there there were a bunch of complaints about this. And, you know, this is modern times. I can't believe we have to do this. I happen to love it. I think it's one of the coolest, most sort of... It gives you this like feeling of power that you can vote on your town's actual policies. But but there are a whole bunch of people who want to be able to control the town's policies without making the investment of having to show up somewhere and listen to the arguments about it and go to the whole thing and think it's outdated and lame and stupid. And. You know, it's like the same type of people who want the experts and to run everything, who want Doctor Fauci deciding the policy. They just feel like, isn't there somebody who can decide this? Why are we letting the hoi polloi just show up and like vote on these things? It's absurd, right? And I, first of all, I think it's sad because I think town meetings cool. So I, I know you think I'm lame, mm-hmm. but um, but I think that that these things are going to. Be phased out as, especially millennials, sort and I guess millennials too, eventually. But like right now, it's the millennials more so. You know, grow up and want to phase out these things because they just want to hire the professionals to run the town and they don't care to be involved. And my feeling is that we should have sort of concentric circles of involvement. Right? Mm-hmm. There's the people who just. Live in the town and they have freedom of speech, and they can write letters to the editor in the paper if they want, and they can talk to friends and neighbors about stuff. And then there's the people who are citizens who are registered to vote, who get to vote for elected leaders. If you live in a town with open town meeting, you get to go to town meeting. Then there are the people that are like elected to be on city council or Mm -hmm. elected to be on the school board, and those people are more involved and they have more control over stuff. So, you know, you get to choose which part of the circle you're in. If you're apathetic, then you don't have to do anything. But then the trade-off for that is that you don't get to be involved in the decision-making. You know, I think it upsets some people that there are people that spend a lot of time and know a lot about local government and doing this stuff, and that they have more control over what happens in the town than the people who are, you know, binging stuff on Netflix.
2: Uh, Well, of course, and also... This deference to credentials. God, enough of this. Mm-hmm. Enough of this. One of the reasons I hate town meetings or, or the alderman meetings they used to have is when they'd bring in the lawyer for the water and sewer person. It's like, God, shut up. Oh, I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. That's fine. Everything's good. I'm just going to think of Lior.
3: You want to hear one thing to make you happy at the yes. end of the show?
2: Yes. You're not pregnant again, are you? No. <laughs> that makes me happy.
3: <laughs> Um, this is uh, from somebody named Dr. Thrasher on Twitter, which I don't mm-hmm. really know what he is, but he has a blue check mark, so I guess he's something. Uh, he caught COVID recently. It was obviously not his fault because he's a good person. It was probably your fault. But um, he wrote the following love letter to his vaccinated immune system and shared it publicly on Twitter Dear vaccinated immune system, Today I am breathing freely after about a day and a half of fatigue and slight nasal congestion in my nose, during which I used only one tissue. Mike, I, it
2: sounds like a rough ride.
3: I had no sore throat, fever, or difficulty breathing. This is despite the fact that for the past two days I have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2.
2: What an asshole! Can we just? Go? I write
3: this letter to you, my vaccinated immune system. He needs system,
2: to be. He needs to obviously. With a
3: sense of deep gratitude. Yeah. Tree shredder. It goes up. He's very grateful. For I hate vaccines. him. I hate him. No, I mean, hate There's a poem at the end of the no, letter. No, there isn't. no poem. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. You can find us on Twitter at Burn Barrel Pod. Facebook.com slash Burn Barrel Podcast. Write us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. On our website, burnbarrelpodcast.com, you can find all the places you can listen.